1: approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best.
2: You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing.
1: Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're
3: listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now we begin with what the Prime Minister's calling the baby steps being made towards easing the lockdown, which in theory at least happens today. Now that includes the freedom within England to spend unlimited time outdoors and go to work if you can't do your job from home. Also, two important economic changes today. The property market in England has been reopened. House moves once again permitted. Admitted, and estate agents are allowed to open their offices and show people round their homes. Yeah, a bit of
1: a surprise that one, but it turns out you can go to somebody's house to view it. You can't to go and visit your mum. But anyway, we also got a support scheme for self employed people that's been launched, and the Labour Shadow Chancellor Annalisa Dodds telling Bloomberg earlier on the government support still though is lacking.
4: There are quite large numbers of people who, for example, might be recently self-employed. That scheme relies on uh, previous tax returns to um, assess people's income and then provide that through HMRC, our, our tax authority. So so there's a big gap there for the newly self-employed, gaps for people who've newly become employed as well. Um, we've tried to suggest to government some solutions to that, different ways that the tax services could assess people's incomes associated with that different ways that they could deal with fraud because until now they've said they don't want to necessarily fill some of those gaps because they're concerned about the risk for fraud we set out some ways we think they could combat that and deal with anybody who tries to manipulate those systems and uh, clearly try and dissuade that obviously there's a, there's a shared agenda there um, we think in, in a number of other areas government needs to be looking. Quite carefully at the future of particularly our loan scheme so obviously the UK package is loaded very heavily towards loan guarantees as a proportion of its overall value now we have said that mm-hmm. um, that may be sensible in the UK context but we need to then be ensuring that that debt burden especially for small businesses isn't going to be unsustainable in the long term
3: And that was Annalise Dodds, Labour's Shadow Chancellor. Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Philippa Whitford, SNP MP for Central Ayrshire, and her party's Westminster Spokesperson on Health. Philippa, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us once again. Um, Let me pick up on the issue to do with uh, the, the differences now that exist between... What happens in England, what happens in Wales, what happens in Northern Ireland, what happens, of course, in Scotland? Um, Are you concerned that there is now a growing gap between what happens north and south of the border? What's allowed to happen under these new regulations?
2: Well, I mean, I think that there was really very little uh, coordination uh, or collaboration or discussion even before the Prime Minister announced um, what I would not consider as a baby step, which was really encouraging people to go back to work. And, and obviously, therefore, to inevitably, in a city like London, use public transport to get there. So it's, it's actually England that has gone out of step rather than the devolved nations and to be honest without testing tracing and isolation in place before that the government are not even going to know if they get a rise in cases until it's too late.
1: What about issues around the border because that then becomes your problem if people try to enter the country try to exercise there there must be issues arising with with, with an unpoliced border like that.
2: Well, being allowed to exercise more than once in a day is the one step that has been made in Scotland and is indeed made in Wales and Northern Ireland as well. But as is already clear with laws like drink driving, which is a much lower threshold in Scotland, there are already different laws. There's always been a different legal system. So if it is something that is in law in Scotland, that's what will apply to you if you're in Scotland.
3: But, but again, I mean, it, one can imagine a situation where someone who perhaps works south of the border, say in Berwick or somewhere, and goes north of the border uh, to, to work on a daily basis. What are they going to do? Because they have a job to go to. The place they live says, yes, you should go if you must. Uh, but the place they work in says, no, you mustn't.
2: Well, obviously, if their workplace isn't open, then they're not going to be going to work. Their workplace, if the workplace is based in Scotland, then they will still be following the Scottish guidance and allowing them, hopefully, to work from home. Obviously, it'll be a bit more challenging the other way around if they live in Scotland and are having to travel to a workplace in England. And that's why we don't simply don't feel that actually were at that point of sending people back to work. You know, there is four times the number of new daily cases now than when the lockdown was brought in. That doesn't sound to me like something that is over. And really, they shouldn't have been relaxing anything until they have test, trace and isolation in place. You want to be able, like South Korea was, to see even tiny outbreaks that are as a response to you changing the regulations. So we, I have to say, I feel the Prime Minister has been precipitate in doing this. I don't feel that's the stage people are at.
1: So you must welcome then the extension of the government's furlough programme until October?
2: I do welcome it. Obviously, I'm a bit worried about when they talk about, uh, you know, the government funding a smaller proportion of that. And I don't mean with regards to... Scotland, But with regard to small businesses, particularly in sectors where they have zero income at the moment, they would struggle even to provide that sort of um, 20% top up from 60 to 80%. Um, And and that will be something that may be unmanageable for some, uh, some of the smaller businesses. And obviously, small and medium sized enterprises are actually the foundation of most of the UK economy. But there
3: again, that pulls up, I suppose, the difference south and north of the border, because if businesses are beginning to open, and the government's talking now about hopefully from August uh, to October, uh, businesses taking more of the responsibility, getting their workers to work part-time. But if by then Scotland is still saying, no, don't go to work, you're going to have a very weird change and difference. It'd be hard to administer.
2: Well, obviously, I mean, the whole reason for the four-nation approach was to try to avoid differences and to keep the messaging simple. I have to say that the lockdown here in Scotland has always been tighter in that you were only to go to work if your work was essential, if you were a key worker. So non-essential construction, etc., has been closed down here in Scotland but not in England. And, and that has obviously already been, made the messaging very challenging i mean i certainly hope that we will have moved a lot further on by the time you're talking about august but i certainly don't think that's the point that we are at the moment you can only afford to ease the regulations when you will be able to see what happens to the outbreak um In response to that the virus hasn't changed it hasn't gone away it's not any less contagious or lethal it's exactly the same and all the benefit we've had from the seven weeks is because all of us are isolated what you want is actually to be able to identify the people who must be isolated because they're carrying it and spreading it once you can do that you can start to let other people move around But at the moment, we don't have that up and running. And that isn't up and running in England at all. I mean, indeed, we hear that the results from these big regional test centres are actually not being shared with local NHS and public health systems.
1: Just to bring you back to the furlough programme once more, are you concerned that it's not got enough foresight with regards to the post-pandemic economy? We were speaking to a former pollster for Theresa May yesterday, who's run a lot of the numbers and found that even after there's a vaccine, people are going to be hesitant to go back to places like cinemas, restaurants, to travel. So it seems like the government potentially now is propping up businesses that just won't exist after this is finished.
2: Well, I think, um, I mean, you played the clip from Annalisa Dodds. I mean, I would also recognize what she was saying, is that the entire system, much as we hugely welcomed the furloughing approach, has many gaps in it. And there have been lots of people left with nothing. There are industries, particularly around tourism and leisure, that will take a long time to come back and may only be able to come back in a new normal that will make some of them almost uneconomic to run. So we have to be looking for something much more radical. I mean, that's part of why we proposed a universal basic income approach, for the crisis so that everybody had enough to keep food on the table and a roof over their head. And I think that that will actually become really important in trying to kick-start local economies because that's the actual economy, is the economy in your local town. And the problem is we will have soaring unemployment. We're already hearing the Chancellor talking about public sector pay freezes, etc., whereas actually we will need to get money to the bottom of the economic pyramid so that there is economic activity locally and and that will need a totally different approach, not just patching things up and then going back to another decade of austerity which didn't work the first time round
3: Well Philippa, I mean uh, briefly if you would, isn't the problem with this, you've got a tighter lockdown in Scotland, you're maintaining it longer isn't the problem that actually you could be hampering the Scottish economy for longer just because in England they get A a bit of a head start, and that would be a really bad thing for Scotland.
2: Well, actually, I have to say, getting a second wave and wasting the seven weeks we've been through because you put yourself right back to square one would be an even bigger hampering. So, trying to actually make use of what we've achieved in stopping the exponential growth you have to come out of it really slowly and sending people back to work is not a baby step you only had to look at the pictures of london transport on monday morning to realize the risk that's happening in england so no i totally disagree with that yes in the short term there may be more activity in england than in scotland there probably already has been because of our lockdown but if we are able to come out of it and actually keep control by having public health networks keeping a grip on it, then that will be better in the long term.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, 1,000 global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.
1: Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We start with the latest GDP figures that were out earlier this morning. The UK economy shrinking almost 6% in March as the UK went into lockdown. Speaking to Channel 4 this morning, Chancellor Rishi Sunak says it's very likely the country now faces a significant recession. GDP fell 2% in the first quarter with the current three months likely to be even worse, according to Bloomberg Economics. Their forecast suggests economic output could drop a further 17% in the second quarter. And of course, we had some pretty, pretty bad warnings
3: from the Bank of England as well. Yeah, and all of which makes the search for some kind of therapy, some kind of vaccine, all the more vital. And now we've, there's a new genome study. You remember genomes? They were the answer to everything. Well, thousands of UK patients have had their genomes sequenced. And the scientific push is to determine who's most vulnerable to the virus's deadliest symptoms and why. DNA from some 35,000 patients, ranging from mild cases to those needing intensive care, are going to be deciphered and compared. The study hopes to pinpoint genomic variation that affects the response to COVID-19 and discover new therapies that could reduce harm and prevent future outbreaks. Hmm.
1: I never fail to be baffled and amazed by science. Not my forte, that's for sure. And finally, the UK putting financial services access at the centre of its objectives for a trade deal with Japan. Yes, we are still out there striking those trade deals you heard so much about. Trade Secretary Liz Truss set out headline objective for the talks on Tuesday evening, citing banking and clothing manufacturing as key areas where the UK is aiming to open up market access. She said Britain wants a better deal with Japan than it has with the European Union. And while the Japanese government has expressed a willingness to negotiate a trade deal, the talks are going to happen against, of course, a difficult background. This is Japan lobbied hard but unsuccessfully for Britain to retain close ties to
3: the EU. And that, of course, is very much in play this week as the Brexit talks go on. But meanwhile, returning to the, I suppose, what's really most important to so many workers here in the UK, what's going to go on with the furlough programme? Well, Chancellor Rishi Sunak did surprise many yesterday by extending that furlough programme until October. He's also made a couple of changes. The plan will become more flexible from August, so workers can be part furloughed and part work part-time he also said companies will have to shoulder more of the cost burden, which is pretty immense well joining us now is Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael well Therese let's start off with what happened with the furlough scheme because the government's showing it's pretty serious about stepping in uh, where the market can't in this case I suppose isn't it I mean it's a fairly unconservative approach overall isn't it absolutely and there
5: were rumors before Sunak uh, stood up in Parliament to announce that the scheme was going to be extended, that he was going to taper it. He was going to cut the uh, the, the wages that the government is paying from 80% of wages, which, which extend up to £2,500 per month or a little over $3,000 a month. And he was going to cut that back to 60%. And in the end, he didn't do that, uh, suggesting that this government uh, wants to be seen and taken very seriously in its commitment to workers it that want to pick a fight with the unions uh, and uh, 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 at, at this stage in the Labor Party, and it even you know it was it was quite interesting because it left the opposition party, was very little to criticize. It's such a generous program. It's covering 7.5 million workers, nearly a million businesses, and and of course it's a very expensive program as well, which has made a lot of conservatives uncomfortable. But um, you know I think what what we can say about it is that you know there's a lot to dislike. About such a generous, you uh, know, program, and worry about, let's say, in terms of moral hazard, and will workers become, uh, you know, need to be weaned off this kind of support. But when you look at the alternatives, uh, they really all seem a lot worse. You know, mass unemployment, uh, severing workers from the ties to uh, to, the, to their place of employment, which would make it harder for the recovery to take hold. And, you know, so I think all in all, what CMAC is doing is probably the least bad thing uh, that a government can do. But you're absolutely right. It's a very uh, unusual thing to see from a conservative government, particularly the one that uh, had been uh, a party that was so instrumental in the austerity policies uh, following the financial crisis.
1: Well, the next step, Therese, may be slightly more traditionally conservative, because I wonder how the government is going to pay for this. I see the Telegraph reporting a Treasury blueprint that we could see tax rises, wage freezes in the public sector and a £300 billion coronavirus bill, which seems to me like more of the austerity that we were promised wouldn't return.
5: Yeah, I see a lot of that as a sort of wargaming and mapping out of scenarios that we would expect is done somewhere in the Treasury and would not, you know, they would not have wanted to see the light of day. I mean, look, I, I don't think there is much choice in terms of how you pay for that. So after World War II, uh, the way out of the hole was economic growth. It was, you know, a huge increase in consumption, international trade. The Marshall Plan, but now we're looking at shrinking output, curtailed consumption, deglobalization. So we're not going to grow our way out of this, at least for a while. And then, you know, after the, the last time we've seen a major contraction after the financial crisis, we had austerity. But Boris Johnson has made very clear he doesn't want to go down that road. And, uh, you know, after the financial crisis, we saw public services pretty much cut to the bone. Local government budgets were cut hugely. Healthcare has been on a shoestring. We have no social care system to speak of, and all of that's going to need to be reversed. So if you can't grow your way um, you know, out of this mountain of debt and you can't cut back, then there's really only one other route left, and that is a lot more debt and um, you know possibly just monetizing it. And so I think that's a debate we're going to have. Yes, there may be tax, cut, tax increases uh, in, in some form for some parts of the economy, but I don't think that's going to be the answer. I think Boris Johnson wants to pick that fight with his own backbench as well. So um, I really see only one way through, and that is a lot more debt.
3: Let's move, Therese, on to the practical steps that are being taken, if indeed you can, you can call them practical really, to ease the lockdown. And we've just been talking to a Scottish National Party politician and, and, and putting, pointing out the differences which are clear now between England and Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland and the issues that's going to throw up, but also just the sheer vagueness still of quite what it is that's being changed. Is there a risk in all this that people go, well, I don't understand. I'll just see what I can do. And perhaps as the government almost wants, just use their quotes common sense rather than anything else.
5: Yeah. I wonder if the government is quite as worried about um, all of the, uh, you know, of that happening as say Twitter is. I mean, if you, if you, if you took the temperature of the public just from twitter and the front pages you'd have concluded that this was just a massive disaster and and the government has confused everybody and nobody knows what to do but you know it's true they made some pretty big communications errors it was odd to announce a policy in a long sort of a fairly vague speech and then not give the details for 20 hours later until 20 hours later it was also true that there are some confusing elements to this. You know, some people are encouraged to go back to work, but not to take public transport. You can, you know, walk up the street and walk into a property that's for sale, but you can't do it to visit your mother. So there's a lot to be worked out. But still, I think the broader public understands that this is just never going to be clear cut. And uh, Johnson would get a lot more criticism. For unlocking and, and lifting restrictions too quickly and too easily, I think, then uh, doing it in a way that is cautious, you know, his five stage alert system, tests, all of that is suggesting, you know, we know we need to get people back to work, but we also know that there are risks, and and you know, the biggest risk for Johnson is a spike in the infection rate and in the death rate. Britain has had such an abysmal record on many levels going into this. Uh, into this crisis. Johnson can't really afford to take more risks. He had to do something, I think, to get the economy started again. Um, And it was inevitable that there's going to be some confusion. It's been mismanaged um, on the comms level. But I I think the government's going to weather that um, more than, you know, more than you think just looking at some of the of the headlines. And of course, the Scottish National Party is going to make the most of, uh, you know, of any distinction between Scottish and, and English policy, because, you know, that, that's the raison d'etre, isn't it? it uh, it's to promote Scottish independence. So I think we could take that with, you know, with a grain of salt as well.
1: And a timely t- question, Therese, on a day when uh, Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer go head-to-head for their weekly session. Is the leader of the opposition having an impact here? There was a lot of noise around workers' rights, around supporting unions, and we did see a little bit of a, a moderation to the Prime Minister's message. Is that is that starting to filter through?
5: I think Starmer is doing a very good job in concentrating some of the questions and forcing the government to be both transparent and very specific. So, you yeah, know, Starmer is a, uh, a very experienced prosecutor and uh, and and lawyer, and he's been very forensic in his approach. You know, having been given no notice, really, about an hour's notice of the government's new guidelines on Monday, you know, he immediately flipped to page 22 and uh, and took Johnson to task for, uh, for guidance that was unclear there. So I, I think he'll continue to do that, and that has uh, very helpfully put the government, uh, you know, on its toes, uh, force Johnson to be more detail-oriented than maybe he's accustomed to being. And so, you know, ultimately, I think that the Labour is playing a constructive role here. Uh, Starmer obviously still has a, an immense job within his own party to do, which is, you know, a party that's fragmented and has been pretty dysfunctional. So, I, you know, I, I would hesitate to overstate his influence in the, at the moment. But it, it's, it's been both, you know, constructive and, uh, you know, and I would say um, he's doing what an opposition ought to do, which is questioning the government's policy.
3: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.